Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Um, I love I love that image in the song of uh, your love is running after me. I had that image of the parable of the lost sheep, where Jesus talks about the good shepherd leaving the 99 to pursue the one the one that is running away, that image of the good shepherd who is pursuing the one who is actively trying to get away, and yet God's goodness is so good that he goes after that one. Um, and I was that one. And I, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, of talk this morning about the ordination, something I'm very excited about, something I'm looking forward to, and I have been really grateful for just the encouragement of this congregation. But I was also reflecting on how much I was that one sheep, And I am here because of grace and purely because of God's goodness and patience pursuing me over and over and over again. And I give him all the praise and the glory for that. Well, let's let's pray together as we get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we turn our attention now to the study of your word. First, God, we lift up uh, the children who have just gone downstairs and pray that as they are studying your word, that you will, that you will meet with them and that you will grow them uh, into a deeper relationship with you and a deeper love of you. And I pray for us as well, um, that as we, as we study your word, that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive what you would have for us, that our hearts would be good soil that produces a crop of love and faithfulness and devotion to you. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. So the last several weeks we have been in this series, Hungering and Thirsting for God, where we have been looking at this biblical call to long for God deeply to the point of as if we were hungering and thirsting. And we've talked a lot about that imagery and just the intensity of those feelings of hunger and thirst. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about what are the things that keep us from hungering and thirsting for God. So we talked about spiritual boredom, kind of being in a place of spiritual complacency. We've talked about sin and the ways that that distances us from God and, and causes us to lose that hunger and that thirst And then last week, Ellen preached on hurt and how do we go about in the midst of just suffering and hurt, how do we go about hungering and thirsting for God even in the midst of that? Uh, Next week, we're going to be going into prayer and starting to begin to look at the life of Jesus and Jesus' prayer life as an example of how are we supposed to pray. But for today, I want to look at another story from the life of Jesus Um, the story of him being tempted in the desert. Because one of the things that we have not talked about yet with regards to hungering and thirsting is that we have an enemy, one that is actively seeking to pull us away from God, one that is actively seeking to stop us from hungering and thirsting for God and who is seeking to lead us away from him. And so I want to look at this story from Jesus' life where he has sort of a one-on-one confrontation with Satan. And where he is tempted in several ways that I think are helpful for us to learn from, both because we are tempted in those ways, 
but also learning from him how did he go about fighting that. And also looking at what does it say about who he is. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 4 in verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, if you could please turn there. I believe it will also be up on the screen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little bit of context for what's going on here. So this comes right after Jesus has been baptized. So he went to John the Baptist, asked to be baptized, and John said, you need to be baptizing me. But Jesus said, let it be so for now that all righteousness may be fulfilled. And you will remember that Jesus goes into the water and comes out. And there is this moment where the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus looking like a dove. And you hear this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we have this tremendous moment in Jesus' life where there has been this very public declaration of the fact that he is God's son. And this is also, honestly, a pretty remarkable moment just in the scriptures because there are few places where you see the Trinity so clearly on display, where you see the Father speaking and the Spirit manifested as a dove and the Son there and all three in this moment of basically declaring Jesus to be who he is and setting him on the course for the work that he was going to be doing. And then something very strange happens. Like, what would you expect to come after that? You would expect, after there's been this huge declaration of Jesus being the Son of God, that, well, he's going to go about his ministry, right? Let's get to the preaching. Let's get to the teaching. Let's get to the healing. Instead, what happens immediately after that is the Spirit is led leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, this is a story that is in all three synoptic gospels, and Mark probably has the most, um, the strongest language throughout this. It actually uses the language that the Spirit drives Jesus into the desert. There is the sense of the Spirit compelling Jesus to go there. And while he's there, he encounters the devil. He encounters Satan. And this on the surface seems to be a very strange thing for God to do. And so I want to talk a little bit about why this? Why is this happening? So there is a lot that happens in the Gospels that is intended to be a demonstration that Jesus is who he says he is. You have the miracles. 
You have the teaching. You have scenes like the baptism of Jesus where God explicitly says, this is my son. But there's also these more subtle parts of the gospels where you actually see God um, arranged so that Jesus's life is a reflection or a reenactment of things that had happened to Israel. So for instance, earlier in Matthew, um, you see that Jesus's parents take him to Egypt and then he is brought out of Egypt saying, fulfilling the prophecy out of Egypt, I have called my son. There is this reenactment of the Exodus where just like Israel came out of Egypt, so too Jesus comes out of Egypt. And you have the same thing happening here, right? The 40 days and 40 nights that he's in the desert are very significant. It's symbolic of the 40 years that you have Israel wandering in the desert. There's sort of a reenactment of the wilderness wanderings of Israel here. And actually, you're going to see Jesus is going to be, respond to the three temptations with three quotes out of Deuteronomy. And each of those quotes is corresponding to a way that Israel was tempted and failed. But we're going to see Jesus succeed. So this story, along with, with being this moment of, of temptation for Jesus, is also a way that God demonstrated that he is who he says he is, that he is the faithful Israel that Israel could never be. We're going to get some more into the significance of that later. But just as a backdrop for why is this happening? Why does God do this? There's something here that's really demonstrating how Jesus is able to do what Israel could not. So we're going to see Jesus face three temptations. In verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now on the surface, this temptation is pretty basic. Jesus has not eaten anything for 40 days. He is probably literally starving at this point, And only having been sustained through the power of God. And he is really hungry. Right? He is, he is in a deeply uncomfortable place, and Satan comes and he offers to pull him out of that discomfort. I would say this is an aspect of temptation we can all relate to, right? When, when there is just something that is making us uncomfortable or something we want to do, but we're having to fight it. So on, on the one level, there is just a basic physical temptation taking place here, but there's another layer to what's going on. Right? What, what question does he lead with? Or what does he say? He says, if, if you are the son of God. Now, what has just happened? Just before this, God has come out and said, this is my son. And then Satan, in his temptation of Jesus, after 40 days of wandering the desert, comes to him and goes, if, if you're the son of God, prove it. Prove that you're the son of God. All you have to do is change the stone into bread, something which you really want to do anyway, and you'll be showing that you have the power of the son of God. Now, what's wrong with this? Why is this wrong? Why would it be wrong for Jesus to eat here? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, 
He has so far been led by the Spirit in what he is doing. What Satan is asking him to do is to step away from the leading of the Spirit and to instead pursue his own means of provision. Second, Satan here is calling into question exactly what God had said about who he was. And if Jesus acknowledges that and tries to prove it, he is essentially buying into the doubt about what God has said already. So I think I've put here with each of the temptations, what are sort of some of the questions that are behind that that are being given to Jesus, right? Behind this very simple, turn this stone into bread, there's a question, are you really the son of God? Will you follow the spirit? Will you believe what the father says is true? That's what's at stake here. Now, I think these are very, very relatable for us in terms of how Satan tends to come at us. This first question, are you really a son of God? Now, that one doesn't get asked to us. It comes in a little bit different form. Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he really do in your life what he said? Do you really have an identity in Christ that has called you to be a certain way and has given you salvation and has forgiven you and given you a new heart and a new mind and a hunger and thirst for God. Is that really who you are? Will you follow the Spirit? Right, the temptation here is I can either follow in the ways that God has led me or I can try my own means to get what I think I need. Anyone ever faced that one before? Will you believe what the Father says? The scripture is full of promises about God's provision and his care and who he is and who we are because of that and who Jesus is. And the question is, do we actually believe that? Or do we feel like we have to prove it? Like Satan is coming at Jesus here in the exact same way he will come at us. Second one, we have the temptation of the temple. So it says, oh, before we go to that, actually, I wanted to talk about how Jesus responds. So in response to this, Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here he's quoting Deuteronomy and he's quoting the place where God has talked about providing manna for the people in the desert. So you'll remember the story where the people came into the desert and they were, they were hungry, just like Jesus was hungry. And what did they do about it? They grumbled to Moses. They questioned, why did God bring us out into the desert to let us die? And God responded by providing manna for them. He provided this, this food that would show up daily for them. And that was supposed to teach them something. It was supposed to teach them what Jesus says here, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They were supposed to learn from that, that God will provide. And that we don't just live, we aren't just provided for by what we can physically make happen, but but by what God is capable of doing. And this was the first lesson that Israel was supposed to learn from this, and it's how, God, and how Jesus here is, is answering this from Satan. No, 
I'm not going to buy into this question of whether I'm the son of God. I am going to follow the Spirit, and I am going to believe what the Father said is true, that he is going to provide because I don't just live by what I physically eat. I live by the word of God. Second, we have the temptation of the temple. Then the devil said to him, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their right hand, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this is an interesting one because here we see uh, Satan actually quote scripture to Jesus. He quotes Psalm 91 here. He's taking Jesus up to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself down and see what the word of God says in Psalm 91 is that he's going to protect you. There's a promise there. God said, Psalm 91, he's going to command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, he's going to bear you up and you're not even going to strike your foot against the stone. So there's a promise here, right? Come on, Jesus, show me you're the son of God. Show me that God is going to intervene on your behalf. So again, we have some of the stuff from the first one in terms of questioning who Jesus was. But there's another piece here, which is casting doubt on whether God is going to keep his promises. This is related to some of the others, but this is specific to will God keep his promises and how do we know that for certain? Do we have to test God to see if he is going to keep his promises or do we distrust that he is going to do that? And Jesus responds here, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's quoting here from the story of a place called Mara where the people were in the desert and they were needing water. And when they needed that water, what did they do? Well, the exact same thing they did when they were hungry. They grumbled against Moses and they said, hey, Why did you bring us out here to die? They had learned nothing from the manna and instead they put God to the test. Are you going to provide for us? And in his grace, he did. But what he said of that is do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that is exactly what Satan is asking Jesus to do here. Put God to the test and see if he will keep his promises. This last one. The devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You know, this is one where, when I have read this, I have often thought this was kind of a silly temptation on the part of Satan. I mean, we don't know his things, but I'm like, how would Jesus fall for this? I don't get it. But when I was thinking about this more, you know, I have to remember that Jesus is human just like us. And I wonder, just think about it from this perspective. Do we have a price for which we would sin? And if so, what is it? So let me ask you this. Okay, so I want you to, suppose there's someone who wants you to steal a pair of headphones from Walmart, okay? How many people in here believe stealing is a sin? 
Okay, good. Y'all been paying attention. That's awesome. Okay, that's a good start. How would you say it's a serious sin? Something that's important to God that we not do. Yeah, we're, we're in Ten Commandment territory here, right? Thou shalt not steal. Now, let's say if someone offered you $10 to steal those headphones. How many of you would take that offer? Okay, we got one in the back. Oh, okay, okay, one over there, got it. So, okay, not too many. How about $100? How about 1000 10000 There's There's some honest answers in the room. Any millions? Any 10 millions? Okay. I appreciate the honesty in the room here. Yeah. Okay, for those of you who haven't raised your hand, I'm offering $10 million. Do you know what you can do with that? That is setting you up for life. You can bail yourself out. Yeah, you can bail yourself out if you get caught. There is. You don't even have to use it on yourself. Think about how much good you could do with $10 million. And I mean, God's going to forgive you. Right? I mean, here, here's the point. If we're honest with ourselves, we have a bit of a price. A point at which we are willing to walk away from the things of God if it is good enough for us. And I'll be honest, there's times in my life where that is a lot lower than I would like. When Satan comes to Jesus, he offers him everything. All the power, all the fame, all the wealth, all the recognition in the world. Everything. More than any person has ever experienced and will ever experience, Satan is offering that to Jesus in this moment. And all he has to do is just bow the knee. No one's there. Jesus could not be bought. This is a question that's put to Jesus, whether he desired God's kingdom or the kingdom of this world more. He was offered all of the kingdoms of this world, and he could not be bought because what he longed for was the kingdom of God and the things of God more. As someone who knows they have a price, this makes me love Jesus a whole lot. Because we know we are weak. And we need someone who can't be bought. We are tempted in the same way that Jesus was here And over and over and over again in our life, we recognize that we fail at this. And so I think one of the things that this is demonstrating, this is demonstrating to us who Jesus is. Because we needed Jesus to be a Messiah for us because we can be bought. 
we needed Jesus to be a Messiah for us because when we get questioned about whether we are going to follow the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world, over and over and over again, we choose the kingdom of this world. When we get confronted with the question of whether we believe God's promises, we consistently try and put him to the test because we're just not totally sure. If we're going to follow the Spirit or whether we're going to believe what the Father says is true, we consistently walk away from that. And because of that, we needed a Messiah. We needed someone who could live the life that we could not live to die and pay the price for what we could not pay for ourselves. And because of that, we have a hope that when confronted with these things again, we now have a champion who has gone before us, who has shown us that these things can be defeated, and who has made a way for us to not just achieve salvation, but also a new heart and a new mind so that we can have a chance when it comes to facing these temptations. Praise be to God. And I think here Jesus has given us such beautiful pictures of how are we to respond. When we get posed these same questions, when we get tempted in the same ways, we see him, one, answering Satan with scripture. He not only knows the word, he quotes it back to him. And I think that's a starting point. If we do not know the word of God, it is going to be extremely hard for us to answer with truth in the times that we are tempted. But it goes even beyond that because Jesus didn't just know it and say it, he believed it. Because what is ultimately, I think, at the root of a lot of this is whether we trust and whether we truly believe that these things that God has said are true. And to the extent that we do not believe that they are true or doubt them, we are going to be weak when we are faced with temptation. I wanted to bring this because if you're like me, there are times you feel beset by sin and attacked by our enemy. Frequently. And that this is something that really does undermine our hunger and our thirst for God. And our first inclination when that happens shouldn't just be to buckle into our our own will and our own ability to fight. Because I can tell you, our own self-control will eventually fail. You don't see Jesus going into his own self-control here. What do you see him do? You see him turning to answer with truth and putting his trust in God. And our inclination should be to turn to Jesus because he is a champion who has gone before us, who has defeated sin, and who has the ability to give us the strength to stand in those moments. Asking him to intercede on our behalf and following in his example of trusting in God and answering with scripture, knowing that we do so from a place of grace knowing that we do so from a place of having been bought, of having that identity, whether we trust in it or not, it is there. So I'd like to pray for us now that if we are facing temptation in our life, if there has been something that has been just a recurring source of, of sin in your life, a place where you just see yourself consistently failing, I would like for us to pray now um, for God to intervene in that. For 
for us to be able to respond in truth to that, to have, have triumph over that area of our life. And after service, if you would like prayer for that, there's going to be, I would ask uh, any elders and deacons, if we could have a couple people over here available for prayer, um, I'd like for us to have a time to pray with you um, if there's an area where you've really been struggling. So let's go to God in prayer now. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess now, God, that, Lord, we can be bought. Lord, we are, we are weak and you are strong. But, Lord, we also know that, that, Lord, when we put our faith in you, that you have given us the strength to stand in the face of temptation. And that, Lord, we have in us the one who is our champion, the one who has gone before and shown us that there is triumph possible. So, Lord, we take time now to lay before you any area of sin that we are stuck in, that we are consistently not following you. Lord, I pray that you would give us this triumph in these areas, not because of our ability, but because we trust in you. Lord, bring to mind when we're facing temptations the scriptures that will help us answer in truth. And may we believe them. Lord, change our hearts and our minds. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in us. Lord, we long to hunger and thirst for you and know, Lord, that these areas of sins will keep us from that. So, Lord, please tear them down. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.